Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello. Before we begin this week's episode, a little public service announcement from this week's guest, Kate Lister. And I am here to issue you with your fair dues warning because it's only fair dues, really, that if I'm on this podcast, it's going to be of an adult nature. So here is your warning. This is an adult podcast spoken by adults to other adults about adulty things and you should be an adult as well. And if you've got past all of that and if you're still ready to listen to me and Joe have a chinwag, I'm game if you are. Hello, hello, hello. Well, yes, it's true. This is the last episode of Series 2. Thank you. I want to start by saying thank you, everyone, um, for listening. It's uh, it's been a joy, and I've got to speak to such marvelous people. Um, A massive thank you to all of the guests that have done it and the people that made those guests possible However roundabout some of the tactics may have been looking at you, Sophie Ellis-Bexter. It took years, but we did it. Um, But yeah, it's been a joy. And uh, I'm concluding on one of my favorite chats of the whole whole lot. Uh, I've been obsessed with the whores of your Twitter for, or since I found them. And I can't remember when I found them. But when I found them, I fell deeply in love. And I've bought Cape's books and... The whole thing with this podcast is an, is, it's an excuse to talk to people I want to talk to. And uh, this is definitely an accumulation of that passion coming to fruition. So, uh, yeah, a massive thank you to Kate Lister for joining me. And I and thank you to all of you for listening. Hopefully we won't have much of a uh, break this time. Not as long as it was last time. We'll have a bit of a break. And I'll see where life takes me. Um, It's been a joy, and I shall talk no more, and I shall hand 
all of your lovely ears over to this conversation between me and the absolutely fucking brilliant Kate Lister. And of course, as Kate said, fair dues warning, there is explicit conversation in this chat. But I think you probably expected that. Enjoy! Well, good morning, Kate Lister. Hello. It's, it's a so ple- nice ple- to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Pleasure. You are um, my, uh, oh, my cat's come in to scream. Would you like to hear about history of sex? No, he's just, he's just wandering around. <laughs> um, yeah, Whores of Yore, I w- I'll start off mm. with this, is my favourite Twitter account. Anytime, anytime I think... Oh, I'm done with Twitter. It's uh, you know, oh, I'm I'm finished with this. Hang on, I'm trying to fight a cat at the same time, <laughs> and um, I remember that it's there, and I couldn't be without it. Oh, That's, oh, God, love you. That is such a joy. Oh, I'm I'm having similar Twitter issues as everybody else at the moment. Of just like it's, just, I mean, it was always angry, wasn't it? It was always quite an angry place. Yes. You were just you were just happy if they weren't angry at you on a particular <laughs> day. But now it just has got extra angry and I do keep thinking, oh, I don't know if I can keep doing this, but then then people say nice things like that and I'm like, yes, I can keep tweeting pictures of penises. Keep going, Kate. Fight the good <laughs> fights. I'm gonna I'll set up a, a an email on on sort of rotation every every couple of weeks go, by the way, it's still my favourite Twitter account. Please don't just, leave. Just yeah, just keep prodding me and just just be like you there are people that need this in Elon Musk Twitter. Keep going. They do and you you know, you've gathered quite the uh quite the amount of followers on there as yeah. well. That's a lot yeah. of people to let down. It is, isn't it? It's and it keeps going up and down, up and down the the, the numbers. And I'm not sure if like people um, log on, can't stand what I'm doing, and then log off. Or if it's <laughs> if it's a bot thing, or if it's um, you have no idea what's going. But there's a there's a fair few of them anyway. Yeah, like minded lunatics. Maybe it's it's like they they are, they're opening their Twitter in public and they're like oh, because <laughs> I you know I follow a fair few uh, drag performers and uh, some drag performers don't realise maybe that your likes show up in the timeline. Yes. Um, so I've I've seen a fair amount of fisting um, that I didn't really actually. <laughs> particularly want to see um just appears and i was like well they're into that good for there them there we go yeah <laughs> so how so whores of your stuff it was a, a a research project right it was, was kind the... of it was it came out of what i was researching um which happened to be sex work in the middle ages i was doing um, i was researching that and i found reference to a woman that was arrested in 13 in London in like 1310 or something. And she gave her name as Clarice Clatterbollocks. And I just thought that was just the... F- <laughs> That's a drag name. Isn't it? Isn't it, right? And when I first read I kept having to reread it and reread it. So I was like, it sounds so modern and so funny. And people still use um, aliases and comedy names and and it made me laugh so much i thought i need to share some of this stuff and that's what that's that thanks to clarice clatterbollocks from hundreds of years ago <laughs> we've like, got hordes of your that's a that's a a good sort of uh what's the word like what's when something stems from from one thing an what's origin story an or- origin story. No, it's not not quite your villain origin story, maybe. Genesis. But the the the, cru- no, the crux. No, the crux is the middle of something, isn't it? I don't know. I'm not a doctor. You're a doctor. 
that was was that because it was the your doctorate because uh, I've I've learned recently that doctorates are very specific. Oh, they're insanely specific. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my doctorate it touched on sex history, but I did a, a lot. I did what a lot of people doing PhDs do because th- these are fucking long projects. Like mine was mm-hmm. four years, and you're basically writing a book. And when you start at the beginning, you've got lots of professors and important people going, "What exactly is this going to be about? Tell me now." And you're kind of like, "I don't fucking know. I've just." I've just, I've absolutely no idea what I'm, I've got a vague idea. And then as you get researching it, what you, you suddenly become interested in something else. That's kind of what happened to me. So I was, the original thing and what it finished up being was about how women in the 19th century wrote about medieval stuff so they could explore sex and things like that. Um, but halfway through it, I became really interested in just studying the sex bit. And my, mm. my, the people who supervised it kept having to go, that's great, Kate, but you're going to have to focus on what you said you would. So if you read my PhD, you'd have to be mental, but it's 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 something, it's got a title of like 19th century Arthurian women writers and medieval. It's like not what you think it would be at all. And it was during the postdoc that I was finally let off the leash of like, I could do sex stuff now. Well, that's um, I guess that's quite a common thing, isn't it? Where, because obviously that you'll, you'll learn more and more about the thing as you're going along. Mm. And then, like you said, you'll, you'll pick up on elements of it that you'll maybe want to explore more. But you can't because you can't. that's not the... No, it's done now. You have to basically sign a contract in year one when everyone's sort of bullshitting, going, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to do. No, you don't. You absolutely just try. <laughs> do, do you bollocks. But So you have to sign it and then you can deviate a little bit from it. But what you can't do is to complete like 180 and go, no, I'm doing something entirely different now so yeah so i was kind of like you've signed it that's it now get on researching medieval arthurianism of the 19th century and how long was that was a few years i'm imagining yeah it's like four years four years and yeah most people with a phd they you have a point about halfway through where you suddenly have to question your life choices (laughs) (laughs) you'd say what the shit am i doing what am i doing why am i still a student in my 30s and i've got no money and this is what the hell am i doing in this very unstable job market and but by that time you're about halfway through so there's a certain of just like well well, i'm gonna keep going then aren't i because i've come this fucking far with the thing but yeah out of spite out of spite just out (laughs) of sheer just like i'm gonna finish this thing but yeah, it's a really weird process because you just go off on your own and research this incredibly niche thing for four years. And then, but then you get doctor at the beginning. You of do. Your name. You get to be a, a doctor twat. You do get to do that, which is good fun. And you can. Uh, I use it for car insurance. I use that. that, that I make sure that they know. <laughs> I'm a doctor. I was um, going to say, how, uh, how how much do you push it? Because there's that Nina Simone thing, is that if people called her, you know, Miss Simone or just Nina Simone, she'd be like, Dr. Nina Simone. I didn't know that. Yeah, she was really, it. it you had to, it was Dr. Simone. Wow. Yeah. I, well, I mean, Christ, it's good enough for Nina, right? Um, I think <laughs> there is like a whole debate around this in... Um, in academia of like should people with phds i.e me and a phd is basically an advanced degree that's what it is it's like you write a book and it's an advanced degree should we call ourselves doctor in public spaces like not like not when it's actually relevant that's perfectly fine like if i'm at a history conference yes you definitely should call yourself doctor but just like out and about in the wild because it can like if you introduce yourself as doctor most people will think that you're medically trained and that can yeah. that can lead to, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, like if I call myself Doctor on Twitter, not everybody knows I'm Doctor of History, and it might can it might suggest that I know more about a subject. 
than I actually do. If I weighed in going, I'm a doctor, I think you're fine. I think I know a bit about astrophysics. <laughs> is, this, is this why you get so many dick pics sent? Because they're actually, there's a, there's, a, there's a problem that they're like, can you just have a look at this, please? There's, uh, uh, should this vein be there? This is, look, there's something about this that ain't seeming right. Because what was, so I, um, I do obviously I for the listeners, uh, I do the booking for this myself. There is no 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 production people or other people involved. So I was trying to get hold of you, and of course I should have just gone to email. But I'm an Instagram type, right? So I sent off my little DM, and then I got a notification saying, you know, this person does not accept DMs. Not like it's gone to the request. And I thought, oh, okay, right. So I'll go do the email. Um, and you said, oh, yeah, sorry about that. I just, just get so many dick pics. I just I thought, better not. <laughs> I do get a, I get a bizarre... Um, not so much now that I've had to close down all all of the communication channels, which is sad because dick pics, they don't actually account for that much of the stuff that I get. Most of it is nice stuff. Most mm. of it is people messaging, going, oh, I, re- I really like the, the account. The really nice ones that cheer me up is when, is when I post pictures of... Um, like Victorian pornography, and and that's all obviously pre-plastic surgery and pre-Brazilian waxes. And then people often see it, and then they're really excited that there's a very beautiful person with a bit of a tummy and some fuzz. Mm -hmm. And then they really, and I used to love getting those messages of people going, thanks for posting that. I've never, she looks exactly like me, and I've never thought of myself as being attractive before. And I loved those, but I did get a lot of obscene messages, pictures of penises, people being very confused and thinking that I was a pimp. That happened quite a lot. <laughs> people right. messaging, just going, um, I really, I'd like some company tonight at about 8pm. Can you? <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. What are you after? Not a problem. Just yeah, leave him on his own in the Premier Inn. Well, I guess, you know, you've, you've got a knowledge of, uh, you know, the various iterations of, of various sex work. So maybe they just True. wanted some advice. It's It does get weird like that. Like there's, like I said, most people are lovely, but there are people that get a bit confused. When when sex is, is ever part of the conversation, people have funny reactions to it. <laughs> most of the time people just kind of go, oh, right, OK. Or they say something nice. But there is, there are people out there that once they know that this is a sex account, you're a sex historian something gets confused in their head and it's like, I must tell them about my sex. That's obviously... (laughs) That's what they want to know. (laughs) My sex is a part of history. I will tell this woman. Um, The... uh, Because I've worked, you know, uh, over the years in a lot of burlesque shows as the host. Mm. And I think that's that's another thing is that that very much gets confused. So a lot of the performers uh, do end up on the receiving end of some bizarre messages. Yeah. Uh, We once... um, I used to run this show in Portsmouth. And, uh, you know, we attracted some characters and it was a lovely big regional theatre. And we once got a little note put through for the stage door. It was in an envelope. So sometimes these things would happen. It'd be like, I'm so looking forward to the show tonight. Please sign this flyer. That sort of thing. But there was one and it had someone's phone number. And he basically said, I am a very lonely man. If people if people would like to keep me company after the show, which I'm very much looking forward to, they can call me on blah, 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 blah. And it was like, I am... 57 in good shape just very sad or something like that um and uh, i didn't i didn't pass on to the burlesque acts that uh this was an offer as i I, they're a bit busy things like that genuine like obviously you don't want to contact the person because that that's a whole they've got stuff they need to work out but wouldn't you just like to sit down with them and just be like what was the thought process that led up to this like what was the like have you delivered many of these letters have they got a good success rate have they 
they like what what's the process here because writing a letter you know (laughs) right (laughs) you've got a lot of time to back out of that particular project as you're writing and delivering it i'm just fascinated like what is (laughs) what's the thought process around that it was, I mean, it was uh, obviously a little uh, off colour, but I did find it ever so funny, which is why I didn't sweet. tell any of the acts, because I was like, oh, this might make them quite uncomfortable. <laughs> but, you know, I know it's happened. Yes. Uh, I don't want to go. There is a man in the audience that thinks you are Look for a sad man. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there was a few, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> so uh, back, back to Always of Yore. The, obviously, you said you said uh, why why it started, yes, um, and how I guess is signing up for Twitter and setting up a website. But yeah. what was the the kind of response for it? What was the timeline there? Because obviously now it's a huge account. Oh, it definitely. I didn't. I can remember when I set it up and I was sat in in my office in, in university and I thought, isn't it horse rhymes with your? That's really funny. And I'm researching the history of sex, and that was as much thought went into it. And then it just started to blow up very, very quickly. And it started to get a lot of followers. And there was one moment in it that exploded it and made it go absolutely massive. And <laughs> I've got like quite a lot of flack for it, but like it wasn't, I didn't do this, right? So I tweeted a picture of um, a cross dress. Uh, well, it's difficult to say because the picture was taken in like 1890. So we're not sure if it's a trans woman or a transvest or so a cross dresser, or, but it was um, a male person in women's underwear photographed in about the late 19th century that's available in the Welcome Collection. It's German in origin, you can go and look at it. And I just posted it with with the, the information around it. And then someone said, doesn't that look like Boris Johnson? And then the whole thing went fucking nuts. <laughs> it went like, <laughs> and all I said back was, "That's it's not Boris Johnson. And then and then before you know it, the headlines were in, in every one of the tabloids. Is Boris Johnson time-travelling transvestite? That was one of them. Um, is... <laughs> And you can Google this. You can Google it now. If you Google Boris Johnson, uh, time-travelling transvestite, the picture will emerge. And then as soon as someone had said it, you can't unsee it. But I never made that connection. And it was even read out of, have I got news for you? It even made that show. And I was just sat there just like, <laughs> shit. It's like you're watching a fire going on around yes. you and you're like... yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So was, you, 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 you hadn't clocked at all. That I, it looked. I, I honestly, honestly hadn't. I mean, once it's pointed out, it's really difficult. Like, how could you not have seen it? But it honestly, it wasn't me. And then there were there was lots of people going like, this is very trans misogynistic. We're laughing at, uh, you know, like uh, people gender exploring. And I was like, I didn't. I, I just posted a picture that was, I didn't even realise it. And the whole thing had just gone completely <laughs> fucking nuts. <laughs> You said well, what year? What year was it? You said it was German. Is it like a Weimar? And um, it was. It was. But do you know? I think it was just before that. It was just. Oh, you can. It's one of the most famous images in the Welcome Trust now. You can buy fucking postcards of it and everything. They've got it in the gift shop. They have I'm well sure embraced. You, you, this. you need a. You need a percentage of those sales. <laughs> it's. Um. It was part of the collection of the guy who was researching transgender. Um, sexualities, uh, uh, Magnus Hertzson. Oh, Hirschfeld. Hirschfeld. Hirschfeld yeah, terrible, terrible. This is, see, moment. I'm not great at history stuff, but that is the one. That's the one, right? It was that's part the of one, his... e- the one era that I, I yeah. actually can probably answer a couple of questions. Yes, Magnus Hirschfeld. Magnus, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, it, I think it was part of his collection. It was one of the ones that managed to um, escape before the Nazis destroyed mm. everything. So obviously he amassed a huge body of research and, and evidence and stories and case histories of uh, transgender people that the that the Nazis then destroyed. When they talk about the Nazis burning books, it was that research that they burned. Well, he was the first, I think he was the, the first medical 
uh, institution to mm. investigate uh, yeah. trans transgender mm. uh, lives, but also homosexual yep. um, life as well. Yeah, as and and you know, not in like a oh, let's get these freaks in. Like I think no. it, it was like a a genuine love of you know it yeah. was you know I mean this is why Germany at that particular period gets. Uh, you know, he, he is, people may not realise that his institute was part of the reason why Berlin and Germany had a reputation for being very open and um, accepting. It's, things like that were going on. I mean, when you think about it like that, it, and when the Nazis closed it all down and destroyed it, they set back that research decades, mm-hmm. decades and decades. He was the only person really doing that research. And it just started to grow out of uh, other discussions that were going on in Germany at the time around same-sex attraction and then the Nazis swooped in and they destroyed it all. But, like, how amazing that that was even there. And we, d- we often... We d- I don't think that that's a, it's a widely enough-known history, that. Yes, I've got a book called The Erotic World of Weimar Berlin and there's, a, there's you know, some some bits of his in it. I don't know yeah. if you've you ever seen it. There's an English version and the German version. But it has... Uh, my favourite part of it is the... There's a whole section on cabaret clubs and mm. it has the address, um, the sort of vibe, the clientele... Uh, what I the entertainment was this. it's it's oh, I'll, I'll send you the link afterwards oh please do um but yeah it's and it has like a full breakdown of you know exactly who went there why they went there wow. and it would be like you know um tourism so it'd be like straight people going to basically see you know yeah. degenerates or ones <laughs> that were uh, the one for aunties so effeminate older gay men wow um lots of lots of lesbian venues and then mm. they have pictures as well so you get these lovely black and white images of lots of um, women in, in sort of monocles with mm. slicked hair in, in suits. Um, wow. uh, you know, sort of almost drag king-esque. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I, those images make me so, uh, so it's, it's monocle. Something about a monocle always yes. just brings a certain level. Of, I've grown a pencil moustache because I was like, I want that element of sleeve. Are you going to go for a monocle as well? I, no, I, I have monocles. You have monocles. It, it's keeping them in my eye is the problem. Ah. So on stage, I can't wear a, an eyelash and a monocle. So I wear them oh, for like course. a photo. But I'll have them, I have them on the necklaces and then I'll occasionally, you know. Of course. I judged, um, there's a night at Heaven in London, which is, uh, for those of you unfamiliar, is uh, the biggest gay club in Europe, I believe. And every Thursday they do a show called Porn Idol, which is like an amateur <laughs> strip competition. And they have like celebrity guest judges. And I did it once and I was like, right, I'm bringing the monocle just nice. so that I could sit there on this chair and just because no one else would have done. I also bought opera glasses for it so that as someone's <laughs> stripping, I just bring the monocle up and just watch, <laughs> squint and look look through that. That was, um, you know, any any, any excuse to uh, look like some kind of vintage pervert. I'll take oh, it. I love that. You need like <laughs> champagne and one of those old fashioned coupe glasses as well, coupe glasses, whatever they were. Well, well, I learned that they're modelled after Marie Antoinette's breast. Apparently so. I, there's a few stories about that. One, they were, they were modelled on her boobs, and then there was another courtesan in France in the 20th century that is supposed to be married. I don't think it's modelled on anyone's boobs, but there's a definite boob feel to them, isn't there? I, I knew as soon as I said that, I was like, she's going to know something about this. I think you know, I might actually look into that a little bit more. I just can't imagine Marie Antoinette sitting there for a plaster cast on her tit going, and this is for a glass, <laughs> is it? <laughs> well, she was like, well, I want a shape no one else has got. Um, <laughs> she must have very perky boobs. If they'd done mine, it'd be sort of a slightly lopsided glass that didn't stand up very well on its own. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it was pointed out to me, I was sort of like holding it against my chest going, oh, sort of small, perky, full, you know. Yeah, like, small like, and perky. You know, seems, you know, a little little two-formed. 
yes. to be yeah. perfectly symmetrical. I, yeah. I mean, it seems unrealistic, but, yes. um, you know, history is history. You know what it I is. mean? Absolutely. Uh, wh- what I was saying about these pictures that are in uh, the lovely book I have, where do you find the ones that uh, mm. you, you use? So, well, there's... um. Oh. It's difficult because the thing is, is like whenever anyone's found a porn stash throughout history, like if, if God forbid someone that you loved passed away and then when you were clearing out their stuff, you found like real hardcore pornography. <laughs> anyway, what would be your reaction to that? I think most people's would probably be, Jesus Christ, I'm getting the fucking wheelie bin quick as nobody thinks I'm going to donate this to a museum or save it for, for history. <laughs> So that's that's what's happened all throughout history. So vast amounts of pornography have just been lost because people were horribly embarrassed about it. And sometimes all you've got is a record of, like, there was an archive, but it was destroyed. And you're just like, fuck. But some of them have survived. So the Wellcome Trust is, is a brilliant resource. They've got lots and lots of um, stuff, not so much pornography, but stuff about, like, sex history, medical history, history of syphilis, history of condoms. They've got some really graphic images of syphilis and things like that. They're brilliant. Um, but then there's there's online archives like the, the British Museum, the British Library. They've got good archives as well. Sometimes you've got to get a bit creative and, like, you can look through auction houses like Christie's and Sotheby's. Ah. You can search through past auctions and they often have erotic sales, specifically erotic sales, and you can see the photographs of, of what they've been selling. That's fascinating. On the, on the listings, there's just like a, I don't know, like a question mark or something. That you, please confirm your age to view this there, image. There is, there's, there's often like a, you just, it, <laughs> you have to like click something to say, yes, I'm, I'm actually old enough to, to look at this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they're really good. And then there are, there are pornography uh, historic pornography collectors and archivists out there. Um, a really good one is a guy in America who has an archive called Delta of Venus, and he curates and collects um, vintage porn. So yeah, it, you have to get a bit creative with it, but it is out there. And I think people now are more and more interested in preserving the history and a little bit less in, embarrassed about it, that it's kind of a niche thing. So people are more interested in recovering it now than perhaps they were before. Well, that was a that was a point I was going to make a little bit later, but just before I'll, I'll come to it. But just before that, my I think you might enjoy this. My manager uh, bought a uh, very dilapidated house that he's doing up. Um, you know, get it cheap, put the work in, and he found um, video like a uh, uh, like what's it called, like film. Yes, yeah, yeah, like Super Eight type things. Uh, I don't know if it was Super Eight, but that sort of thing. Um, of the people that had the house before. And I think it's been unoccupied for a little while. And I might be misquoting, but I'm certain he was like, the people that had this house were definitely swingers. <laughs> and they definitely filmed it. Um, so he was, uh, I, 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 I mean, even if I've misunderstood what he was saying, basically what I think has happened is he's found lots of homemade porn right. on tape. In right. the basement of this old house. Okay. So I'll, I'll ask him if he's still got it and be like, give this to a museum. Do Keep not it. get rid yes. of it. Yes. Don't don't get rid of it. It will be really important. Like you might you might have to like leave it to your children. You might have to leave it, you know, for like a hundred years or so before anyone gets really interested in it. <laughs> but yeah, the stuff like that is so much of that is we've lost. People just don't save it. Like they say, it's going, oh, yeah, like, well, why would you? Like, and, and then there's an, there's an interesting thing there, isn't there, about, like, well, at what point, how old does it have to get to be before it's of historic interest? Like, if you find, like, a pile of, you know, Razzle magazines and readers' wives from, like, 1980, is that historically valuable? But if it was, like, from 1890, then it would be, oh, my God, this is amazing. 
But I guess there's also that weird kind of, not to make it t- too deep, but there's like a, a age-wise, there's a consent level to it as well. Because <sighs> yes. it might be somebody's, you know, personal, and they might still be kicking around. That's very true. And, and the, But do you know what's actually quite, really worries me about when you're dealing with like the old, old, old stuff is just when you were saying there, so if you've got the modern stuff, consent is an issue. Like if you found something in a house, you don't know if, the, you don't know if you can hand that to the British Museum. That's, they might, they might object to, to going in to see a display and there's just them fucking, but like when you're dealing with like the really old stuff, like the Victorian pornography, there isn't an age of consent because the stuff was so new. So you kind of looking at like, you spent ages looking at it going, yeah, they, they definitely look, look like an adult because like, you're constantly terrified that like, I don't know how old they are. It's oh, really, yeah. yeah it's but really also in, in Victoria, I'm sure there were like, you know, 18 year olds that looked about 50 by today's standards. That, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> just you know you look at it and like and then you find out that they're 16 but then they look like a 50 year old they were big mutton chops yep. and yeah you know the, the sort of life expectancy was a bit lower so maybe people aged quicker and they didn't have spf and everybody smoked no they didn't yeah they, they you know there was all the fumes and you know people were throwing their shit into the street it's exactly all of that <laughs> sort of stuff with the uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this thing before I forget, is that you were talking about in sort of modern sensibility, I guess it's getting easier. Obviously, you teach. Yeah. Um, do you find with your work that I feel like younger people nowadays would be more open to this mm. kind of thing? Is, is that something you've noticed? Yeah, it um, it is. In fact, it's all I can do to get the student, my students not to focus on a sex history related subject. Because <laughs> I teach like oh, it's a range of things. I do teach um, sex and sex history, but I also teach stuff on Victorian literature and some medieval literature. And I don't know if it's just the way I teach it, but inevitably all the um, the essays come in something about sex, something Someone, I think, because when they they find out what I do pretty quick, and then they're really interested in that, and then they want to know about that, and then they want to talk about that. That's what they want to talk about, and that just seems to be what interests them the most. So I haven't met any students yet that seriously object to what I do. Though sometimes you do have to rein yourself back in, and be like, not everybody has the same viewpoint that you do. Like if and if you research sex a lot, suddenly your shock value goes, your shock levels go through the roof. Like it takes mm-hmm. quite a lot to make me go oh god yeah maybe that is a bit a bit too much and then I forget that other people don't have that so sometimes I have to sort of rein myself in a little bit or start start gently but no they're, your, they're your really your tolerance is high yes yeah absolutely and then so I realise what I've done I've just like shown a, a slide of a syphilitic penis from the 18th century like maybe that was a bit much <laughs> It's not, you know, some people might be shot by someone whapping one tit out, you know what yes, I mean? And yes, yes. Then... And you sort of have to remember that, yeah, not everybody is as um, au fait with this stuff as you are. But no, they, they absolutely embrace it and they love it. And they, they, they seem to have a real curiosity and, and thirst to find out about the history of sex and about how we've got to our current attitudes today. Nice. And then the... Um... You were saying that they find out pretty quickly. I mean, if they just mm. Google your name, yeah, it yeah. just it it all comes straight up. <laughs> so you've not had any be like just sort of take you aside and go, as if like no one else knows. Going, it says online that you do sex. <laughs> um, I've had. I've, there's normally like a moment with a, with a new class. Uh, so like I'll come and I'll, I'll teach them and do this. And then it might be like a week later or two weeks later. And you can see that, that someone somewhere has gone, has either found a TikTok or has found a book or has found the website or something. And then there's this, oh, we've looked you up. And then it's like, right, so now, <laughs> now we're going to have this conversation. So, yeah. How does that, how does, I mean, 
you're, you're a social media star. Uh, you're on a public platform. Um, how how does that work for? Because you know you have a, a sensible teaching yeah. job yeah. as well as doing these other <laughs> things. It's uh, that's I don't think you see that very often. Is that you know you have your your serious academia teaching the youth of today, and <laughs> or also the 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 public platform. Uh, a large public platform. How how does that like the, the balance there? Because what was interesting when I when I emailed you, you were like, "Oh, it's exam season. I'm doing some yes, uh, some some things." And I th- I forget that. I know I forget because that I know you too. as the public figure <laughs> that you you have these sensible things to also do. <laughs> um, how is that balance? It's it's a weird balance, you know. Um, it's so there's a few things going on. So like uh, universities. You generally, despite the fact that they try and, try and, you know, try and be like, oh, God, we're so, like, hip and groovy and, like, we're with the kids, they're actually quite conservative. They generally don't oh. like... They, <laughs> yes. They don't like um, sort of unnecessary attention. So we've kind of got this slightly uneasy truce, which is that, that they're very pleased that I'm doing stuff and I have a public platform and that I can, you know, reach people and talk to people and that they like their lecturers to do that. But there is a sort of a, a, sort of a slight feeling of, like, why couldn't it have been about trains? or something why did it why did it have to be this subject so they kind of they're they're very supportive but just like again you do suddenly like realize well maybe i can't tell them all that i've written about blowjobs for this article article. just going into the staff room people like oh yeah posted a picture of a cock again 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 (laughs) so it's um it, that's that can create a bit of an uneasy thing, but I think they're used to me now. The students don't give a stuff; they absolutely love it. Um, and it's and I really like the teaching bit. That's like I, I really do. That's that's one of my favourite things is just to go in with an interesting subject and and just with new minds who are curious about learning and just going, oh, what do you think about it? And then you know having a chat. So I I definitely love that. But it's um it can be difficult to balance the the sensible bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sensible UK academic. He's appeared to be p- tweeting a lot of pictures of tits, though, Kate. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, and and not just the pictures of the of, of the tits and stuff. There's also the uh, I've recently discovered because I don't use it because you know I I I have uh, good eyesight. The alt text, uh, which for those unfamiliar <laughs> is uh, text that is added to images for people that um, have issues with their eyesight. Yes. Uh, where it sort of explains the image, <laughs> and uh, yours are um, artful. I think <laughs> is you you give a fantastic description, um, but in in depth it will you know I'm not actually you know I don't have one to read exactly, but it will be things like, you know, look at that lovely cock, perfectly <laughs> formed, shaped like this, um, you know, the sort of face I would like to sit on. That cu- you know. <laughs> That's that that sort of thing, and it's just it's because it does exactly what it's meant to do in terms of accessibility. That it does exact it describes exactly what's yep. going on, but there's beautiful little flourishes. Oh, with it. thank is, you. Um, is that do you enjoy doing that? I I do. Um, I was speaking to someone who uses the alt text function because they're um, they're they're registered blind, and they I was sort of say, trying to say that it's kind of difficult to describe porn. That's weird. Like when you. That when you're doing the alt text on, on a pornographic image. And they were like, but please try, Kate, because oh, like it's so great that people use the alt text. Although a lot of people use it like in ways they shouldn't. Like they put links in and stuff. And it's like, no, no, mm-hmm. it's 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 an accessibility thing. You have to describe the image. And if you're not, like you're kind of fucking it up. Don't do well, that. Well, that's what's really lovely with, with yours is that there is that conversation about people like abusing it as, mm. a, as, a, as a resource. But you've managed to make that really nice balance of 
you know, a perfect description. And you, there's nice extra commentary from you for the people using it. Yeah, and that was, my friend was saying, they're like, look, it's brilliant when people use the alt text and they describe it, but it can be very dry. And they're like, if the image is funny, I want to know that the image is funny and I want to know mm. why the image is funny. And I'm, because, you know, a lot of historical erotica is fucking hilarious to look at. Batshit. So I it's batshit crap crazy. <laughs> so, like, me just putting in the alt text two people having sex outside with a cat watching, that's, that's all right. But, like, you know, <laughs> like, if there's a joke in the image, like, I want to try and describe it so everyone can, you know, so like, everyone can experience the lunacy of it. <laughs> How how would you describe uh, if you, if you were putting the alt text to two people having sex with a cat watching? What sort of thing would you say? <laughs> um, so it would be so the first thing you've got to do is you've got to describe the image properly. So that's what I try and do. So it'd be like two if they're white people, two white two young white people, man and woman having sex outside in a garden. A cat is watching, and then it'll be something like um, they look like they're having a splendid time. The cat appears to be eyeing up the man's bollocks. I don't know why. Duh, 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 duh. And you kind of <laughs> so that's when you try and sort of elaborate what the what the joke is. But it's yeah, always very important. Not don't stray from the image itself. Otherwise, um, otherwise you're doing something that you you shouldn't be doing. But I'm glad that I can. Because I just thought, yeah, lean into it. If you don't, you can't be embarrassed describing this stuff. Like, go for it. Oh, no, you know, and if people can't see it, they, they need to... They need to know, know, right? They need to know. Because, again, even for someone that can see the image, uh, they the, the descriptions are... I've now... Because it was only recently I discovered that that was a thing that you did. So now every time I see one, and we'll go on the alt text now. <laughs> um, it's just so good. Um, you were earlier, just to backtrack a little bit, you were saying about medieval and Victorian things. Mm. The Victorians, uh, I'm going to focus on for a moment because they have the reputation for both being uh, prudish, yep. is, is, is sort of a, a, something people see when they think of Victorians, but also... Um, utterly depraved oh god I, I think that's what i like so much about them is there's such like they're so fucked up like on one hand there there is that you know table legs are obscene and people can't say the word trousers because it's so puritanical and there was a real repression going on but at the same time these are the people that invented photographs and video and what do you think that they were filming and videoing pretty damn quickly and you know like the the victorian erotica the press was absolutely it was a massive industry so you've got this real like ambivalence of these people who at one hand like oh no sex is a terrible thing we shouldn't we shouldn't speak about that but on the other hand like you said absolute fucking dirt bags and i find that fascinating about them like what on earth was that and i suppose to a certain extent we still do that today like we we like to think of the victorians as like oh because you're absolute lunatics but we still do that like we've still got outward facing morality where we're like oh my you know and occasionally someone will get busted in a sex scandal or something and we'll be like oh my god but it will always be the person that's like i am a a good heterosexual <laughs> married man an upstanding citizen it's they're like, always the most fun when they get busted maybe this is the thing with the victorians is it was you know oh don't look at the table leg it's too erotic we can't say trouser but then that you know that repression builds and they're like right i'm gonna go get beat up by that's exactly know. it is you can't repress this stuff and in fact when you've got a group of people that are so like hung up on sex that that table legs and the word trousers are upsetting them that's not a group of people that are okay with sex or don't <laughs> think about sex like that that's that's a group of people that think about sex all the time all too the much. time too much in fact um so i think that that's probably what and they were trying very hard to get away from 
the Georgian era that had come before them, so you think like Bridgerton, and they did have an era as being quite racy and quite sexually liberated and sex very much part of the conversation. So the Victorians were very much trying to distance themselves from that, but you can never repress sex. It always it just comes back in weirder ways. Well, I've got, I mean, I live in Brighton, so we've got the pavilion, uh, which, uh, you know, I don't, again, don't want to misquote uh, or misinterpret history. But as far as I'm concerned, it was, you know, I think there are a fair few parties going on in the pavilion. Yes. Um, I think yes. the rumour is that there's there's an entrance, like a secret exit entrance that goes out onto the seafront that goes into the where, you know, they would um, smuggle smuggle the boys. <sighs> Uh, that's that. them. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong, but that's I've I've heard it on the grapevine. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me in the least. Do you know where Buckingham Palace stands today? In the 16th century, there was a male bottle. <laughs> so it's funny you say this. So I was just um, just before Aaron, my boyfriend Aaron's just leaving the house, and I was like, "Have you looked at Kate's book that we have?" And I opened a random page, and was just reading bits of it, and that was the exact oh, page that I opened <laughs> today, and it was. Um, was it about Molly? Yeah, Molly, Molly Houses in the 18th because century. Because there was a pub in London called the Molly House. Um, ah. Sort of more modern. I think it's gone now, but it was a gay bar called the Molly House. And I just, when I think of Molly, I thought of drugs. Yeah. Um, but actually, I guess it's called that as a kind of tribute to male yeah, sex it's, workers. It's, it's quite an old word for a gay man is a Molly. Um, it's, I mean, the, the word, the name Moll has a long association with sex workers, like the book Moll Flanders, and there's various moles throughout history. But Molly was a term from, for a, an, either an effeminate man or a gay man. And I have heard that it comes from a Latin Malay, which means like effeminate. I've probably misquoted mm. that, but there is some suggestion. But so yeah, if you were a Molly or you'd go to a Molly house in the 18th century, that was a gay club, a gay bar. Nice, and that's yeah. that's where you that's where you got that kind of thing, you know. That's I mean? it, absolutely. It, you know, but like now that we've got the internet and it's so easy to meet people, like you know, there's billions of people just sat in your phone just waiting. Hello, yeah. but <laughs> before that, like location and geographical location was so important, especially with something like men having sex with men, which you had the death penalty in the 18th mm -hmm. century they, and 19th century. They were killing people for doing well, the, this. The 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 that bit that I opened up, it was something like if the if the threat of the noose wasn't enough, um, you know, and then was like, but they still did it. They still did it. Absolutely. They st and it seems that there was quite a thriving gay subculture in London in particular as well, because it crops up in court records and like there were witness statements, witness statements that sort of suggest that this wasn't hidden away. I mean, you know, it wasn't like, you know, like advertised widely, but people knew, people knew about the gay clubs and where they were and they knew about prominent figures on the gay scene in the 18th century as well. I wish I'd, I wish I'd made the note because there was a, there was a line that really, really made me laugh that um, it said, it was someone doing a report on these kind of places and it said, uh, these something like these sodomatic, uh, it wasn't degenerate, but it was it was along those lines. Mm. But it was, oh, I, can't, I wish I had made a note of it. Yep, sodomitical practices, or somebody said something, wasn't it? Yeah, they sent like reporters in in the 18th century and the early 19th century to try and find out what was going on the, in these the, clubs. The wording was really fruity. It's very, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fierce stuff. <laughs> uh, but back onto the Victorians. Why is the the image of a Victorian sex worker seems mm. to be the standard, doesn't it? When you when you 
when you and and in you know films and TV and media, it's always this sort of missing toothed, wild haired. <laughs> Like, with a Cockney accent. Yeah, tuppence for me, tuppence. Why is the sort of Victorian image of uh, sex work that seems to be the most There's a good question. I've never even thought about that, but you're absolutely right. That kind of image of like, if you're dealing with a historical harlot, you do tend to evoke these sort of very Victorian-y images i can tell you that the victorians were obsessed with sex work they were upset they called it the great social evil and they (laughs) (laughs) so you know subtle um and they there are lots of estimates of how many women there were selling sex in the streets of london and they're they're ludicrous they're like absolutely bonkers like one of them said there's eighty thousand women selling sex in the streets of london another person said that there was two hundred and fifty thousand people selling sex in the streets of london and just bear in mind that we don't have accurate figures for this today so how the fuck they knew is anybody's business but estimates from, right that yeah did you, did you sell sex do you sell sex <laughs> doing little tallies she's but wearing the, a lot of blush that's what that's, well that's kind of how scientific this stuff was i mean today estimates from a government commissioned survey into uk sex work estimated that there's eighty thousand people selling sex in the whole of the uk today so how the fuck there was 250 women selling sex on the streets of london alone thousand yeah yeah, but I mean, did they, I it's mean, not the possible. population even doing. No, it's not. When popula- you actually when you actually work it out, it would mean that every single like one in every two women, regardless of age or marriage status, was selling. Like it's it's impossible for it to have been that many. But the fact that people thought that was feasible, the people, the fact that people thought that that was yeah, that sounds about right, sort of shows what a big problem they actually thought it was. And it wouldn't have been anywhere close to that. I, <laughs> Just them, like, and again, looking at someone and going, "Yep, she's got blue, she's got blush on, right? Yep. That's what one hot, yeah, another hot." <laughs> um, the I, yeah, I, I think I was part of me thought that it was maybe uh, focused on because it has quite an aesthetic uh, link. Yeah, um, the thing it's not um, they're never in these things portrayed as a perfectly no. normal woman. They're always portrayed as essentially your local crackhead. Uh, you know, the sort of person that you see shouting at bins and stuff, yeah. um, you know, carrying a tankard, you know, few, few missing, missing teeth, teeth a yeah. sort of, you know, like a real rough hell of the bottom Carter looking type. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That kind of bird's nest hair, corset with the tits coming out. So I think it might be a Jack the Ripper thing as well, you know, like that story and myth has become such a, a weirdly iconic part of our culture. And these stereotypes, your Helen Bonnecart with your missing teeth and shrieking in the streets, they're kind of part of that. I wonder if that's, what something to do with it as well? The the, the Jack the Ripper that we're obsessed with death. We a, are, we are. Country. Yeah, weirdly obsessed as well. If if the person being murdered was someone selling sex, then things get very dark very quickly. Very like even in the press today is it's often it'll be the language around it is really loaded. It'll be prostitute murdered, not woman or her name or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's suddenly, and it, it, but then it becomes like quite a. It's almost like the caricatures in a story. Like we mm-hmm. often forget that the people Jack, Jack the Ripper killed were actual proper human beings with lives, mm-hmm. and but well, they become sort these of sort of dehumanizing yes. kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we, we'll get to that in a in a in a second. But just on the subject of Jack the Ripper, they had this uh, exhibition at the British Library. I can't remember how many years ago about the history of Gothic, mm. and they had what is uh, alluded to be one of Jack the Ripper's letters written in blood, oh. um, in one of the one of the cases. Wow. And that was, I mean, there's a lot. There was a lot in that exhibition, 
Uh, but I remember specifically seeing the, you know, the letter to the police from him supposedly wow. written in blood and thinking, like, how the fuck have they kept that? Oh. Like, it's, I mean, it's grim. That is, isn't it? I mean, but commitment to letter writing, I think, that we could have just, couldn't use a biro, could you? But, Jesus. But I, don't, I don't think it was written in blood. It was a bit red. Do you know what I mean? That's how would you actually... write in blood, actually? I think, because I, I know Very I've heard about this letter, but blood is quite thick, isn't it? And ink is quite... I don't know how you do it. Nobody try it, by the way, if anyone's listening. We don't need anyone... <laughs> don't no, need no, anyone giving this don't. a whirl. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think you could write in blood. That wouldn't work. Do you reckon it was just someone at the British Library got a red pen and was like, oh, for this. <laughs> some, some of these mugs, they'll be on a podcast like 10 years later and they'll be like, I saw Jack the Ripper's letter written in blood. Well, someone definitely wrote to the press and to the police and included a piece of a kidney and set, signed it from Jack the Ripper. And it's thought that that is from Jack the Ripper. But we don't know because the case, people were so obsessed about the case. They were inundated with letters of mad fuckers pretending that they were the killer and thinking that they'd solved it and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, th- there is reasonable as evidence that this did come from the killer. The Victorians were batshit, weren't Bat they? Bat crap crazy, yeah. I always think of that Philomena Kunk thing where I, I think, <laughs> I, I can't remember the context in which she says it, but she goes... The Victorians were batshit for Christmas. Um, and they, <laughs> they, and were. they were. They, they were absolutely batshit for Christmas. They were, they were um, mad. They were absolutely mad as a jar of twats, the Victorians. <laughs> mad as a jar of twats. <laughs> <laughs> My God. Um... Yeah, I don't want to bring the tone down now, but I must Let's touch on it. Uh, we're saying about the sort of dehumanising mm. of uh, sex workers within things. You work within sex work in terms of, I think, campaigning. Yep. and that's, yeah. So what, what, what is the work you do within those realms? Well, when I was researching the history of sex work, when I started tweeting about it, one of the first groups of people to start responding and engaging with the feed were sex workers themselves. And they were the ones who sort of provided context and narratives and they were the ones that sort of like challenged a bit of language use that perhaps you know this is an academic that you might be a bit guilty like blah, 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 i'm just going to use the word prostitute blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were the ones sort of like could you just be a bit careful how you're using the language so then the more i was interacting with the community online the more i was thinking actually you can't just research the history of a group of marginalized people and firstly give nothing back and um, secondly have no awareness of how of what you're doing affects people now because even though what you're writing about is hundreds of years old the books and the 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 articles are around today people are reading them today and they can help add to stigma if you're not careful it's like that image of the victorian strumpet in the street caterwauling and screaming she's still alive and well today because if you look at most documentaries that focus on sex work they will focus on what's known as street sex work or survival sex work the people are engaging with sex work normally because of addiction issues or very complex social issues and they're the ones that, that are focused on because then you get all the, you know, you get the poverty porn shots and you get the gory stuff and you get the addiction and you get the real harrowing, awful stories. So we still focus on that today. So I became very aware that the history of sex work is actually really, really important in the fight for sex worker rights today. And that all throughout history, you haven't had the voices of sex workers because they get silenced or they're stigmatised, pushed to the margins or they're spoken over or they're spoken for. And now you have really thriving sex worker rights organisations like um, English Collective of Prostitutes or Swarm, the sex worker activist and resistance movement. Uh, Loads of people campaigning who can speak for themselves 
So that's yeah. really important. So I wanted to <clears throat> amplify that. Um, I do a lot of work in the city of Leeds with a, a charity called Basis, Basis Sex Work Project, who work with um, they work with all sex workers, but statistically those that need their help are the most vulnerable. So um, I work with them. So things like I donated half the profits of Curious History of Sex to them uh, in the pandemic. And that was brilliant because then they could get um, food parcels and money out to the women because obviously they couldn't go out and work in the middle of lockdown. Um, and we managed to raise money for them to have a, a, a they've got, they had, they had a really old bus, right? A really, really old bus. Because when you're dealing with very, people with complex needs just saying we have a drop-in appointment from two till four isn't great you've got to go and find them right so they had mm -hmm. a bus that they would take around where they knew the women would be working and then they could access um sexual health testing screening get condoms report violent crimes um just be looked after uh, all of these things and then the bus was absolutely shot to shit so me and my friend grace who is it was a sex worker and worked with basis we managed to raise money to get a new bus for them and that's so that it's it's out there the little um yeah basis sex worker bus so it, oh, it that's feels beautiful. yeah it's really good to do stuff like that and it's kind of like you know i yeah sort of be part of that and and give something back i think is really important I mean, with, with all the evils that social media has, there's also things like, I think this keeps coming up in every interview, actually, is that social media is such a double-edged sword, is Isn't that it? obviously it has the, the unpleasant side, but then stuff like that. Right, absolutely. You know, and, and giving voices to those without voices. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a public platform. Yes, you, it gives voices to your dickheads um, but... and the unpleasant people, but... It does amazing things. It does, mm -hmm. and you know, um, I'm not supposed to, to to say this, but obviously you won't tell anybody, will you? Um, but I know that one of the people that donated a lot to that cause to get this bus made was E.L. James, the the author of Fifty Shades of Grey. She just very, nice. she very quietly and like she was just, I, I don't want anyone to know that it was me, but very quietly, like how lovely is that? She was just, just like, yeah, you need the money. Should, here I, you should go. I bleep that or should we just let her have a quiet little? Shout I th out, I I think she should have a shout out because I know, I know that Fifty Shades of Grey gets a lot of shit, but honestly, I've met her a couple of times. She's such a lovely person, and she just does stuff like that like a lot. And she just you know, I didn't even think to ask you about Fifty Shades of Grey because I'm you know uh, I'm not much of a prudish type, so it wasn't kind of shocking for mm. me. I was sort of fascinated culturally where it sat. Me too. That, yeah. Uh, it, it sort of brought these conversations to to a much wider. Uh, yes platform and sort of went no it's okay you know this is in the, the, the media now um i guess that really did change the landscape of how i guess even literary uh, lit literary places deal with it sex. did it did and like you i was fascinated not so much with the text itself which i have read um but like what button did that press at the right time to just become this huge mm. thing because it's not like erotic fiction didn't exist before that it's not like there wasn't bdsm <laughs> texts around for god's sake but it did something it pushed something and i'm fascinated by that and there was a lot of backlash against it from people in the bdsm community saying that they felt misrepresented and that that's fine that they're entitled to that that opinion but i felt that there was a lot of snobbery around it as well there was a lot of like it's just it's it's terribly written and, blah, 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 blah. and I felt that um I felt that that well maybe it's not for people with you know advanced degrees and feminist theology and all the rest of it that it's not just for for you because billions and millions of people loved reading that book predominantly women and they really got something out of it as well so I think that's important and we shouldn't overlook that do you know what I mean yeah it's just just because it's you know I guess it's that thing where you might know lots about 
something and just because mm. you know about doesn't mean other people do yeah um, and it may be coaxed a little a few people that were maybe a little shy or yes I don't want to necessarily say prudish, but that were maybe a little like, oh, no, 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 no. Yes. And it, it maybe just made them go, oh, I could be a bit fruity, couldn't I? I? Yeah, and it sort of gave permission to to people in a way that, that perhaps wouldn't have had that before to have these conversations and to talk about it and maybe to explore a type of, of sex that perhaps they hadn't done before. And I'm well aware of, you know, all the issues that go with it, but I think that we often forget that bit is that it did allow people to have conversations who perhaps wouldn't have done so before. And it probably boosted the sort of uh, sex economy in a way, even, you know, yeah. places like the sell toys or, yep. you know, even your, your high street and summers type places where yep. people are like, oh, just, you know, that little, that few quid they chucked for that one thing that made them feel a bit, yeah. bit different, you know, and, and then I guess even for sex workers in a, in a way that maybe it would come around that people are like, I would like to try this, but... Want- I shall ask someone that I shall exchange exactly. some currency with yes. to do it. Yeah, um, it definitely changed the landscape. It changed the conversation. It did something at the right moment. And I'm fascinated by that, about what it was that people were clearly ready for something for that conversation. It's been so, a yeah. while as well. I can't really believe have. it never occurred to me to even ask you about that because <laughs> I, I don't know, there's there's other things to talk about. And yeah, I forget that that was a massive cultural shift. Um you know, talking about uh, sex-based things is not not something I would n- not that I would normally do, um, but it's because there's no reason for me to talk about mm. it necessarily. Uh, you know, I you know I'm talking to a lot of uh, comedians and artists and and performers and things, so it's not I'm not going to go. So you do any shagging um, <laughs> to, to to them, um, and it's a, it's a really interesting and I guess in some ways a divisive subject for people mm. because there's you know sex work is work, which I fully think it is, um, and that for some reason is still a conversation yeah it is um i don't think it's up for debate but apparently it's being debated um what why is that important it was it was weird it was a weird process that one was because i always thought that i was a fully paid up member of the feminist club like a proper card carrying feminist and then when i started getting more and more known for what i was doing and tweeting about sex worker rights and writing about sex workers i suddenly got this huge backlash from Certain feminists, people who are of the persuasion that it's always exploitative, it's always abusive, it's always grotesque, telling me that I was enabling rape and that I was a rape apologist and that I was um, awful for glorifying the exploitation of women. And I genuinely couldn't get my head around that. And I try very hard to like see other people's point of view. And I can go as far as like if you genuinely believe that if someone paying for sex is the ultimate manifestation of patriarchy, abuse and entitlement, that you would be very angry about that. But where I stop being able to understand it is when the sex workers themselves say, no, it isn't. <laughs> like, how can, yeah. you, how can you keep arguing with like going, you're horribly, horribly abused and the person's going, no, I'm not. And it's like, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm OK. And it's just and I think as well, the thing that often gets missed is that that because I believe that sex work should be decriminalised and uh, protected by law and people should have rights and we should try and destigmatize it doesn't mean that I don't accept awful things happen within yeah. sex work of course it does what my position is that criminalizing it making it illegal doesn't help reduce those things well it that's what I was going to say is that is that uh having it you know under the table means that it, it can't be um right you know protected that's you right. know you look at places like you know Amsterdam where you know I'm I'm sure you know bad things also mm. happen, but that you know they're protected. It's out in the open. People know what's going on. Therefore, they're less likely to try and pull some shit. 
right. um, because it is being re- regulated is the yep. word I'm looking for, I guess. Exactly. Um, if at any point you criminalise any part of it, you make the, the work themselves more vulnerable. Um, and there are different, there are laws all around the place about around sex work, ranging from full decriminalization, full, full criminalisation, where it's illegal to buy and sell sex. By the way, it's never stopped anybody doing it, by the way. That still happens in those countries. There's partial decriminalization which is what we've got in this country which is it is perfectly legal to buy sex and to sell sex but there are laws around it for example anywhere a building where more than one person is selling sex is legally counted as a brothel and a brothel is illegal that law in practice means that sex workers cannot work together they can't they can't even have a receptionist which makes it unsafe which makes it unsafe right um the the model that most sex worker rights organizations fight for is decriminalization which means the removal of all laws specifically pertaining to sex work and that it's protected as any other job is and then people say oh but you know you're legalizing pimping no you're not because it's illegal to sexually exploit somebody it's illegal to coerce someone and that would remain illegal but the reason it's very difficult to ask for help to access services to get any kind of protection when there's stigma and criminalisation around it. Because if you're doing something that's already illegal, how the hell are you going to go and report that to the police? Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you, know, you, you can't get the assistance that you no. will occasionally need. No, no. So it's not about saying, isn't everyone in sex work having an absolutely marvellous time? And this is like, everybody should be doing this. It's not. It's recognising that a lot of abuses do occur, but not, not for everybody. Some people are having absolutely marvellous time, but you're not protecting anybody by making it illegal. Do you think it's going to change? It's a are really there conversations about that. There are com- like the conversations are changing. The fact that people are having these conversations, the fact that sex workers are now unionising and coming together to say, you know, we have our voice. There's um, a sex worker union up in Edinburgh who have just challenged the um, banning of strip clubs throughout the city because it's a really reactionary, easy thing for councillors to do. And then they feel like really good feminists because we've we've banned strip clubs. Hurrah, fucking look at us. And then all the, the sex workers come forward and go, well, that's my fucking job. That's my job. Mm-hmm. And now, I, I, now I've, I've got like, I've got my kids to feed and look after and this work allowed me to, to do that and to earn a lot of money. And show, you've just taken my fucking job away. You can't do that. And they fought that and they took it to the courts and it's now been ruled that it is unfair to just close it all on because the reason that they're closing it is for sexual morals, isn't it? It's not any other reason other than just... Down with that sort of down thing. Down with that no. sort of thing. That's it. It's not... They're not doing anything illegal. They're not doing anything... Like, n- nothing bad is happening. It's just literally people going, oh, I don't think we should be doing that, really. We'll, well just get rid of always, it. Always flummoxes me when uh, just... I don't know. Again, uh, I'm... Uh, I've led quite an open life. I know lots of types of people. So I just sort of sit there and go, why is it anyone else's business? It's no like one else's business. I, I just, it, the, that, like, you know, the moral superiority. When we were talking about burlesque earlier, when I did the, the, the first year that they ran the Hebden Bridge Burlesque Festival, mm. um, and you were saying about sort of, uh, sort of card-carrying feminists that are, you know, against yes. that, you know, sex work. The Hebden Bridge Burlesque Festival actually came against quite a lot of pushback. Mm. Um, and they had, I remember there was, I arrived in Hebden Bridge and there was a bedsheet that said like, no to posh stripping in Hebden Bridge. And this, you know, you're it's thinking like about Hebden these Bridge. kind of shows. No, right. That's what I thought. I was like, it's Hebden Bridge. It's basically like Brighton of the North. Yeah. Surely like, it'll be, but no, they had a real issue with it. But the, I guess they were misconstruing what, 
actually was going to go. And the reality of the Balesque Festival is that there's someone riding a flamingo puppet. <laughs> you know what I mean? To Copacabana. It's 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 all very... Yes, yeah. there might be something that's more sexually uh, driven or charged. But it... And also Balesque audiences are mostly women. Mm. Dita Von Tees says this, that her audience is mostly women and gay men. Yeah. 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 It's very, it's, but you get, you do get that reaction to this. People get very, very angry and indignant. And, and, and like I said, it's just so weird when then the workers themselves come forward and go, no, 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 we can speak for ourselves. And then they carry on. I never understand that bit. It's like they're, they're going, no, 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 not you, not your opinion. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't count. It's like, no, but I'm the, no, 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 we didn't, you know. Right? (laughs) It's just, it's so, but yeah, it's still a very, very contentious issue narratives around it are changing there's there are a few countries in the world now that have got full decriminalization but i just don't know if our government is going to do this anytime soon because it's <laughs> they'd have to talk about sex and they're not comfortable in doing <laughs> that are they it's much easier to go oh no down with that sort of thing than to actually have the proper conversations that we need to have about it well fucking maybe they'll listen to this and this will maybe mind, they anyway. fucking will it's just but making anything illegal doesn't keep anybody safe and it doesn't stop people doing it either in fact at no point in history and sex workers have been punished with execution mutilation banishment excommunication and it's never ever stopped people selling sex or buying it's, sex it's, you know called the oldest trade isn't it that's absolutely it's like that's one of the questions i, I wanted to ask you is and I, I didn't know if 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 this was something you knew but I'm going to give it a go. Is that yeah. is the, what is the first recorded instance of sex work? Um, the oldest that we've got dates to ancient Mesopotamia, and it was the Code of Hamas. No, it begins with an H, but it's basically it's basically 2000 BC, and it was a code of laws from ancient Assyria that makes reference to what happens if a sex worker becomes pregnant by a client and who is financially responsible. And that's also some of the oldest writing that we've got in the world. <laughs> so some of the oldest writing in the world yeah. is yeah. about... Yeah. Again, I, I also, uh, damn patriarchy, is basically the conversation there is, uh, so yeah, who should pay for this Who's thing? Who's paying, someone, yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. This man's paid this woman mm. to do this, but then who's responsible for the results exactly. of what he did? Exactly. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, so uh, in the, even in the oldest texts and the oldest myths and the oldest writings in all of the world, there's there's reference to this. Yeah. Fucking hell. I was, I I was just a question, I was curious... And I was like, I could have Googled it, but I was like, I'll, 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 I'll ask Kate. Uh, the go-to, uh, I was trying to think of some sort of something that rhymed with agony aunt, but it was like sex, sexual aunt or something. I oh, I quite like sexual aunt. That's good. We'll go for that one. Sexual aunt. <laughs> uh, we're coming towards the end, and I always ask uh, people these two questions. Okay. And I'm always very curious, and I kind of do put you on the spot a little bit, but we'll, we shall we shall see the shock on your face. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> right. What is your favourite thing you have ever done? Where oh, it be, wow. You know, in regards to, to work or, or career or, you know, something you've put out into the world related to, your, yeah, Ooh, to this. My favourite thing that I've ever, ever, ever done. Oh. Oh, that that that's a difficult question, isn't it? It is because, because it, but it doesn't necessarily mean the most successful either. Uh, it something that for you made you like, oh, 
one memory that I've got, and this this is kind of random with all the stuff that, that I have been doing, but I used to work at Hard Rock Cafe when I was like 18 and a student, and um, occasionally they would let their staff members go and work a festival that they were doing somewhere, and they had one in Hyde Park in London, and it was the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And um, they, for some reason, they had, I think they call it the Golden Circle, which is like there's a bit fenced off in front of the actual stage where the plebs can't go, basically. And all the proper fans are held well back and the people that you know paid a £1,000 for a ticket kind of swan round in this still big thing. Yeah, do they still do it? I'm just like, I've got fucking loads of space over here. But I got asked to go and work that um, and I snuck off from doing my shift and I stole a crate of beer, me and a guy called Harry who were working together, and we went and stood right at the front of this thing with Anthony Kiedis and the Red Hot Chili Peppers playing right there, drinking beer and the sun went down. And that's one of my favourite memories. I just, I, I was just thinking, this is fucking amazing. <laughs> I like that. That was, that's a real left field answer to that, to that question. But yeah. I think just, just as valid. Normally, you know, I was expecting like, my book. But no, I know, I drinking I, yeah. beer. No, but I think drinking beer, watching the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, they were, they were like right the there. Area. They were like within meters of us. To like, Anthony Kiedis kept like looking down and like smiling at us and stuff. It was like to the point where I felt this is a bit weird. It's like they're in my front room, but like they're right, <laughs> they're right there. Like I could touch them and it was, and the sun was going down and I'd just finished university and I remember just thinking, fuck yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. I love that. Um, and the other question I always ask is, is there a, a dream achievement or goal or something, you know, you don't actually necessarily need to be working towards it right now, but in the back of your mind that you're like, I would really like to, I'd do, really like that. to do this. Um, well, actually one of the best things I've ever done, just thinking about it now is I got Kathy Burke to send me a voice note about the word cunt for an episode of my podcast. That's definitely got to be dream come true. And um, I was, Oh, sorry, to, I was meant to, oh, maybe we could fit this just okay. to talk about the word of the day because cunt thing, um, was it? No, it was cunt hook. <laughs> 16th century word of the day, meaning fingers. fingers. Sorry, uh, we'll come back to this. <laughs> You've got Kathy Burke to talk about the word cunt. Yes. So we were doing, um, it was the 100th episode, I think it was. And um, we wanted to do it on the word cunt. And Kathy Burke is like a comedy hero of mine. And she uses that word with just like the linguistic dexterity of a ninja. Yeah, she does. And, and I happened to have her phone number from a conversation we had years ago. And I've saved it in my phone the whole time under the the title, Don't Phone When Drunk, just don't. <laughs> and then my producers were trying to get hold of her through her agent, and it was like a no. And they were like, and I was like, I do have a number, you know, I do. And then I had to like properly psych myself up to ask if she'd just send us a quick voice note. And she did, and I was so unbelievably excited and happy that now I think that we're best friends. So perhaps like um, like a goal would be um, to have a pint with Kathy Burke and, and to be her bestest friend. That would be a good a good goal. I mean, I, I think she'd be a good bet betwixt the sheets. Uh, she, she she was amazing she was and I, I remember thinking it's like, it was so lovely because she had no reason to do that at all like you know like it's not it's not exposure she has done it she has done it yeah yeah she's done it she sent us a little voice note about her why she loves that word so much and we do an episode on the oh, history that was of the word for, yeah, I, I thought you meant uh, I know I meant as like an actual like sat down with you guest oh yeah that would be my goal leading on from that you see to actually sit down with her and and either have her as a guest on the podcast or just, just have a beer with her and just say, hello, Kathy Burke. My my mum looks like Kathy Burke and her favourite <laughs> word is cunt. And I bought her a, one of those mugs that has the, it's the white mugs with the black handle and it yep. says unt on it. Oh, and she I says, know. Yes, brilliant. Yeah. She's like, Joe, I like sitting out. I'm doing an impression of my mum now. Um, I like standing out in the front garden and then you know, people walk past. I sort of raise the mug like I'm cheers <laughs> them. But actually I'm going, cunt. <laughs> 
Um, normally, this is that's where we would end, but I've just got the word of the day, yes. which is uh, always a highlight on Whores of Yore. Um, how do you find this? For those of you <laughs> unfamiliar, please, please go look. Um, yeah, the word today, so 16th century was cunt hook, which means fingers. Fingers, um, yes. Betwattled um, is in my head as well. Betwatted um, then... meant surprised, didn't it? That, that always made me laugh. I'm completely betwatted. Because they're not all, all necessarily sex-based. There's a lot of drinking. Yep. Um, I guess degenerate behaviour. Yeah, there's a lot of drinking is... and farting and general naughtiness. Yeah. What's your favourite word of the day you've ever oh, had? My favourite one that I ever, ever had was, I think it was from the early 20th century, and it was sneezing in the cabbage, and it meant cunnilingus. And I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> sneezing in the cabbage. Say that's just so, like, evocative. <laughs> oh, this has been the best chat ever. <laughs> Um, do you want to like? Do you want to plug your podcast? Yes. Um, yeah. If you want to listen to Kathy Burke telling me why she likes using the word cunt, um, the podcast is called Betwixt the Sheeps, and we release twice a week and talk all kinds of smut and nonsense. It's absolutely <laughs> glorious. It's always on in the house. Aaron's just sort of when doing the washing up plays it. Aww. So I'll hear. I'll hear your. Um, hear your tones through the through, <laughs> through the hallways um thank you so much for doing this kate this has been an absolute joy oh, it's been so much fun talking to you joe thank I've you i've loved it oh, goodbye everyone that's it we're done we've finished done kaput there's no more hope for all of us inside. These are lyrics to my song, Final Curtain. Do stream that. Um, thank you very much to Kate Lister. Uh, thank you very much to Ben Creme, to Susie Ruffle, to Sophie Ellis-Bexter, to Dr. Colleen Darnell, to Hungry, to Benji Webb, and to Bill Crisafi. But uh, those were my guests throughout the whole thing. They had nothing to do with me talking to Kate. Um, but most importantly, thank you to you, for listening uh i have been joe black this has been joe black meets and i shall return when i can convince more glorious people to allow me to pick their damn fine brains so we're for one last time for this series goodbye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.